Story is told about two New Yorkers going through, get a load of the name of this town in Louisiana, Nacogdoches. And when you look at that word Nacogdoches, it doesn't look like it should be spelled that way at all. These two New Yorkers, they're traveling through Nacogdoches, Louisiana, and they begin arguing about how the name of the town should be pronounced. And this goes on for a while, and then finally they take a pit stop for lunch, and they come into the restaurant, and, and they call the manager over, and they say, we got a question for you. We've been arguing in the car lately. Can you tell us the name of this place, but say it slowly? So the manager leans forward, and he says, Burger King. Yes. Not only can words be somewhat difficult to pronounce, but they can mean different things. Like vegetarian in old Native American really means terrible hunter. You probably didn't know that. <laughs> words are interesting. I, <clears throat> I've heard after a, a sermon series on justification, sanctification, and the other Asians that the pastor's son went to Sunday school and the the teacher asked him, so what does procrastination mean? And he says, I don't know what it means, but I know our church believes it. <laughs> words, words, words. Can I ask you, are you casual with your words that you speak? Do you realize that words have power? Actually, it says in, Proverb, in Proverbs that the power of the tongue brings life or death. Words have meaning and consequently words have power. So we have to be very careful and not care less with the words we speak. I remember talking to one person, challenging them in this. They were struggling with saying things that was hurtful to their spouse. And I said, your words count. And before you speak, you have to think about it. And they looked at me and said, really? But that sounds like such hard work. And I'm just going to encourage you, the sermon today, this is going to be hard work. We're going to talk about the power of words. We're going to talk about the attitude behind our words. Because the truth is, church, our words bring either life or they bring death. Life or death. <laughs> I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 13, verse 17. Proverbs 13, 17. Now, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, <clears throat> but I found in, in other translations it pretty much is the same reading. And in Proverbs 13, 17, it says, A wicked messenger falls into trouble. I want you to pause right there. How can a wicked messenger fall into trouble? Maybe they don't deliver the message on time. They procrastinate. There's another proverb that deals with that. But the next part of the verse says this. But, so that's a contrast, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. An envoy is a messenger. A trustworthy envoy, a trustworthy messenger brings healing. Pause for a moment there. The purpose of the messenger is to just bring you the news, right? Good or bad or indifferent, just to bring you the news. How is he a faithful or trustworthy messenger? Because he just happens to bring news that encourages you. Because here's the point. News is not neutral. News is not neutral. Just turn on your TV set. I don't care what station you turn to. There is always a slant on the news. They always have their perspective, good, bad, or indifferent, but there is a perspective that they have, and you're going to see it when they get into the news. No news is neutral. So how is it then that a trustworthy envoy brings healing. Well, let's look at another proverb, very similar, a little different, over there in chapter 25. Proverbs 25, go there with me. Verse 13, it says, like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his masters. 
Now, let's understand that it does not sow during the harvest, snow during the harvest time. It's not even supposed to snow during the planting time because if when the seed germinates, the freezing weather can kill it. I know when I grew up, my dad, we had a, uh, in our backyard, he took up half of our baseball diamond due to do this, but he put in a 33 by 14, I still remember the dimensions, oh my goodness, 33 by 14 garden, 33 feet by 14 feet garden. We had all kinds of stuff in there, stuff it's hard to even pronounce, and stuff that you probably have never had cooked for you, neither do you want to have cooked for you. How many of you have ever eaten okra? How many of you actually like okra? Okay, now I grew up with okra, and my mom, for the first half of my life, cooked it all wrong. She boiled it, or as they say in the South, burled okra, all right? She boiled the okra with Tomatoes. I just thought maybe this tradition, because it grew up in the South, maybe she, maybe it just happened after she was, well, she was born and raised in Georgia. She should have known better. You never burl your okra. <laughs> you fry it, right? Yeah, there we go. Fried okra. I love fried okra. Uh, I loved everything in that garden, if it was cooked right. <laughs> I loved everything in that garden. But the frost date, if I'm not mistaken, in Delaware was like May 10th, 5th, whatever it is, something like that. And you just don't put your plant seedlings out in the garden before that date because it might freeze and they would die. So we would, cook, we, yeah, we, we would plant those seeds under ultraviolet lights and we had a garden in our house until May 10th. And come that weekend, oh man, my dad would be planting, he'd be chomping at the bed, he'd get everybody out there, and we'd be digging in the dirt and planting all day until, you know, trellises for the pole beans, you name it. It, it was in place, and we were ready to go. And he loved it. But it never snows in the seeding, and it certainly never snows in the harvest time. And so therefore, this contrast, we can see easily that, wow, snow bringing refreshment. Now, I don't know exactly, did they eat the snow? I know, snow ice cream. I haven't even ever had snow. I love snow ice cream. Yeah. But maybe snow with a tall glass, tall glass of uh, sweetened iced tea. I mean, that's the only kind of iced tea there is, right? And in, in, in ice or snow. But the idea is that this brings refreshment. And in the same way that it brings refreshment, so a messenger brings refreshment to his master. Now, how is it that bringing the news to your master will encourage and will refresh his spirit, will actually, we looked in the other proverb, bring healing? And it's because news is never neutral. Now, my point today is not that news is never neutral, but it is what we do with the circumstances of our life that determine the words that come out of our mouth. The circumstances and how we process them, our attitude, that's what comes out of our mouth. Let, let, let's look at something here. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 18. We have an example of an anchor man. No, not an anchor in a relay, but a, 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 an anchor man like a, on a TV show. Anyway, they did not have TV, obviously, back then. They, in fact, instead of using horses, they usually ran, sometimes great distances, to bring news. And over here in 2 Samuel chapter 18, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they received news that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Now, they, they received news. David is about to receive news concerning a war that has just taken place because his son, Absalom, had betrayed him, had conspired against the king. And he had led many people, priests and prophets and, and politicians and warriors, to his side. And he was down there in Hebron, and now he comes up to Jerusalem, and he is going to overthrow the kingdom and David has left because he is not going to fight his son 
And this basically now is in God's hands. Now they do clash. There is a battle as Absalom sends his troops after David. And Absalom is killed. David's men are victorious. But Absalom is killed. How does a messenger bring that news? Good news for you, David. Your son's dead. Yeah, that one's really going to go over well. And so what we have is a story, and it said that the that Ahimeaz is the first one. That's the son of Zadok, the priest. He wants to go. As a matter of fact, he feels the sense of, sense of obligation because David had asked Zadok, send me word. Send me word about the outcome of this battle. David is very concerned, not just about the outcome of the battle, but whether his son lives or not. Because he has instructed the troops, do not kill my son. Don't kill him. Ahimeaz wants to go. Unfortunately, Ahimeaz did not see what happened to Absalom, whether he lived or whether he died. There is a Cushite there that does, and so Joab sends the Cushite. And Ahimeaz keeps begging, please, please, please let me go. I want to go. I want to go. Let me just tell you something here before I read. For you to be a messenger and envoy, that is a professional job. That is not just something you choose and give to anyone. You need to know how to do it. Just like an anchorman on a TV, on a news station, they need to know how to deliver the news, but they always, of course, deliver it with a slant. And there is no difference here. The messenger is going to bring the news with a slant, bring the news in a certain way. And when Ahimeaz calls out to the king, he arrives, he says, all is well. He bowed down before the king because he gets there before the Cushite. He bows down before the king with his face to the ground and says, praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. Good news. Woohoo! All right. We won the battle. I can go back to Jerusalem in peace. But the king asks, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimeaz answered, I, I saw great confusion, just as Job is about to send the king's servant and me, your servant, but I don't know what it was. The king said, stand aside and wait here. So the king's, so, so Ahimeaz, he steps aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrived and, and said, my lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has delivered you today from all those who rise up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So we have the same, re same thing going on here. Ahimeaz and the Cushite, they're saying the same thing except here. The Cushite replied, may the enemies of the Lord, the king, and all who rise up against him to do harm be like that young man. The king was shaken. Now I'm going to suggest that the Cushite should have shared that portion of the news very differently. But he was not close to the king as Ahimeaz was. Should Ahimeaz have done it, he would have said it very differently, apologetically. He would have said it with sorrow in his heart, but the Cushite did not because he, he was just a messenger. And Here's my point. When you face life's struggles, defeats, and victories, what is your perception of all of that? What is it now that comes out of your mouth as a result of all of this stuff that has happened in your life? An envoy or a messenger is good and brings healing and refreshment because he knows what to focus on. He's going to focus on the good news. And he is not going to focus on the bad news. Now, it's not a, it doesn't mean that he doesn't talk about the bad news. But when he gets to the bad news, it is so crucial how he shares, how he speaks those words. Why? Because the tongue has the power of life and death. And how it was shared here, it says David was shaken. Can I ask you this? When you go through the stuff of life, good, bad, what is your perspective on it? How do you talk about it? 
Because how you talk about it is going to be determined by how you process it. So when you process it, when you talk about it, if you talk about life in a negative way, you not only dishonor the Lord, but you bring discouragement. And Proverbs says you even bring death. You don't bring healing. You don't bring refreshment. Now, church, let's be honest. All of us go through hard times. There are no exceptions. Anyone here never go through a hard time in your life? Please speak to me afterwards. I want to know what your secret is because I have yet to meet someone who's not been through struggles, hardships, devastations even. But the question is not the struggles that you go through. The question is, what do you choose to focus on? You see, a faithful messenger focuses on the good news. Did the bad news happen? Yes, it did. It always happens. But the faithful messenger is the one who knows how to perceive these events and deliver it in a way that brings life and even healing. Okay? You are probably well familiar with the story of the 12 spies. <clears throat> Joshua, Caleb, representing their two tribes, and then the 10 other spies. And we see then in, in Numbers 13 and 14, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to be referring to it and maybe reading one verse. But you remember, they need to go in, they need to spy out the land, and then they come back with a report. But what report do they come back with? Were there giants in the land? Church, were there giants in the land? Was the battle perhaps going to be a hard one when you're fighting against giants? Yes. Was there anything positive about the land? Did it flow with milk and honey? Milk, honey, metaphor, okay? It's, it's an abundance there. Yes. They even brought back uh, grapes, and the clusters of grapes were so big, they had to carry the cluster of grapes on a big, long stick with two men carrying it. That's how big it was. Oh, man. You know, when I was little, the, the, really the only kind of grapes that they had were the seeded kind. And I, I just got so weary of chewing them up and trying to spitting out. The, there's three seeds, right? You spit out the three seeds. So eventually I just got to the point, I'm just going to eat the seeds. Ugh. And I didn't, it, they're, they're bitter, of course. And so you've got sweet, and then you got bitter. Then you get, take another one sweet, and then it's bitter. And it's, so I, then they came out with seedless grapes. They were like, awesome. Maybe they had seedless grapes back then, but they were too expensive. Maybe. But I tell you what, when, when they lit on seedless grapes, it was marvelous. It was like almost heaven. But they came back with these, I'm sure they were seedless grapes here too. They came back with these huge cluster of grapes. You see, there was so much good about the land, but there was also negative. How do the 12 spies talk about this? How, how do they talk about it? Well, you know the story. The 10 spies came back. First of all, in verse 30, Caleb says, he signs the people before Moses, and he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. They don't say anything. That's the first thing. They, 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 we can do this. That's his conclusion. However, it goes on to say, but the men who had come, gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They chose to focus on the negative. They talked about previously, even before Caleb speaks, the fortified cities and, and all of this. And then they talk about the giants. And they, we were like grasshoppers. See, this is all perspective. How do you deliver the news? How you deliver the news, though, the words that come out of your mouth depends upon what? Your perspective on the news. See, news is never neutral. 
How do you perceive the stuff of your life? When bad things happen, are you able to still see the good? Are you still able to see the hand of God? Because we can train our minds to focus on the negative, even when good is in front of us. I can, I can remember, I, I grew up honestly in a somewhat negative household. It was unfortunate. My dad later in life came to this realization. I remember when he did and how it had so thoroughly impacted my mom. He wept at the table as Meredith and I were talking with him because of the devastation of his negativity. And my dad repented. But I remember years and years and years before that when I was in high school or junior high sitting at the table and my mom had cooked long and hard and she's a southern cook and she cooked well. But whenever we would sit down, my dad would always, the first thing out of his mouth was always negative. Why are we eating dinner so late? Why is this not cooked all the way? And it was so negative. I can remember one time I was just so angry and as a little boy, I rebuked my dad to his face. And wow, I tell you what, after I said it, I hid, hid under the table. No, I didn't really, but wow, you just don't talk to my dad that way. But I stood up to him, and I'm not saying that was the right thing to do or how I said it, but I was just so weary. And it was an amazing meal, but my dad always had something negative to say about it. Some of us can be this way. Here's the truth. We go through life. Bad things happen. Good things happen as well. But what do we talk about? Why does it always have to be the negative? It's negative that we talk about because I'm going to tell you this right now, church, because something is wrong with our heart. God needs to change our heart. I still remember a, a well-known speaker as he's speaking in a conference and a woman in a wheelchair uh, wheels up halfway through the conference and you know, she tells her story and her face literally is lined with wrinkles and she looks like 70 or 80 years old, but she's only about 40 or 50 and she is filled with anger. She tells her story, the speaker tries to help her, prays for her. At the end of the conference, another woman comes up, wheelchair as well. Amazingly, almost identical circumstances. There's a smile on her face. She looks like she's in her 30s, though she's 40 to 50. She talks about her circumstances as if God is totally in control, and she is content being in that wheelchair. Should God heal her, praise God. But if he has me in the wheelchair for the rest of my life, I will still praise his name because there's so much that he has for me to do. And all of life is overseen by the amazing sovereign sight of God and, and, and oversight of God and grace of God. And she saw this. And so that's the way she talked. It was constantly positive. But sometimes we can speak constantly negative, can't we? Constantly negative. And I'm just going to tell you right now, before I go any further, it is because God needs to change our heart. He needs to heal our heart. We have gotten a hold of a perspective, of a way to view life that sees the negative before the positive, or sometimes doesn't see the positive at all. Do you know that right before... Moses sends the 12 spies out. Remember, Joshua is one of them. It says in verse 16 that Moses changed Joshua's name. It was Hoshea, and he changed it to Joshua before they went out. Here's the significance of that. And why, if it happened well before this, why it's mentioned right before they go out. And it's for this reason. Hoshea means salvation. Joshua means Yahweh saves. You see, it's not just enough to know that God rules, God's sovereign, God reigns, but God is sovereign over my life. God will deliver me. See, this is personal. You know, 
Hoshea, it's not just that God is about salvation, but or it's not just life is not just about deliverance or salvation. It is about the fact that Yahweh saves. Now, going into this promised land, this is on his mind. Yahweh will save. Yahweh, there's giants in the land. Oh my goodness, nine, ten feet tall, but Yahweh saves. Fortified cities. How are we gonna? We can't pole vault that high. What are we gonna do? Yahweh saves. And every negative situation that could be perceived negatively and, pers- and cause one to come to the conclusion, we can't, Joshua, with his new name, said, but Yahweh saves. He will come through for us. This is something that we can do because he is the one who's going to do it, not me. And so Joshua went into the promised land with a very specific mindset. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. He is the one who will make this happen, not me, not us. Let me give you an example of of this and how it's so easy to focus on the negative instead of the positive. Jesus encountered this with Peter. It, It might almost seem to be an opposite example. Regardless, the focus is still on the negative. But Jesus is talking about what is going to happen to him very shortly. And it kind of busts their bubble just a bit. And he says in Matthew 16, verse 21, he says, from that time on, that is when he tells them, Peter, you are the rock, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against this, the the church is his point. And he gives him, in a very symbolic way, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Now, Peter... Does not, apparently does not hear that last part, or at least does not understand that last part. And on the third day, be raised to life. What do you mean, Jesus? You're going to be suffering and you're going to die? Now, he may not have understood it because in the, in the Jewish mindset, when someone has died, it's after three days, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. And so on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Maybe he just thought, okay, he's, he's going to rise spiritually. Of course, he's going to die, but there is a resurrection, and it happens at the end of the age. But Jesus is very clear here. If he had repeated himself to Peter, he would have said, I will suffer, and then I will, and I will die. But on the third day, do you get this? On the third, not the end of the age, but on the third day, he will, I will be raised from the dead. I will be raised to life. Well, here's what happens. Peter does not like the negativity, and so he pulls Jesus aside, and he so boldly begins to rebuke him. (coughs) Excuse me. And he says this, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you that he would die and be raised to life. This shall never happen to you. Jesus looks at Peter, and he doesn't put his arm around him and say, you know what, Peter, let's just kind of get on the same page here, okay? All right. He He turns to Peter and looks squarely in his eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, men focus on the negative. We don't want the negative. And so for Peter, he either did not understand or just totally missed this idea of a resurrection. Didn't get it. Jesus, in essence, is saying, 
I've got to go through the valley of death to get to the next mountain peak. If I could paraphrase it this way. And Peter is saying, nope, we're not going to the mountain peak. Church, for you to go from mountain peak to mountain peak, guess what's in between? Maybe not the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. See, the shadow of death, when we looked at Psalm 23, do you remember that several weeks ago and Wednesday night? The, the valley of the shadow of death. It's only a shadow of death. It's only what death, it's the shadow that death casts. So it looks like death. It's, it has a similitude of death, but it is not death. We go through hard times. And yes, you may not die, but I tell you what, in your spirit, sometimes it certainly feels that way. Emotionally, it feels that way. And you're wondering, God, where are you crushing me? And I'm simply here to tell you that for you to get from mountain peak to mountain peak, you've got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus is saying, I need to rise from the dead. I need to conquer death, and I am going to do it through the valley of death. I'm going to do it by being hung on a cross. I'm going to do it by dying for your sins, Peter. I'm sure he didn't go that far with it, but he said, I must die so that I can be raised. I've got to go through the valley to get to the next mountain peak. But men, women, we hate the valleys. We don't want the valleys. When we go through the valleys, we focus on the valleys. That's the negativity. That's the negative stuff of life. <clears throat> so Peter, <clears throat> even though he's not focusing <clears throat> on talking about the negative, he doesn't want to go through it. He wants to avoid it, and he certainly does not want Jesus to go through it because he has in his mind only the things of men and not the things of God. How do you go through your valleys? Stuff happens in life, positive and negative. What's your attitude towards it? And because of your attitude, how then do you speak about it? Because your words will bring either life or death. <clears throat> Our words do have power. I remember one church meeting years and years ago. I'm sure no one here remembers it. And we had just had an outreach, and after the outreach, <clears throat> we were having a, a meeting. In the beginning of that meeting, I just wanted people's input. And there was some positive input about it. And here's what one person, now this one person, they are not here, by the way. That, they're not a part of Powerline. Now, this is years and years ago. They, they were a negative person. They tended to have a negative outlook on life. And they, they shared one thing negative, but the way they shared it, it was, it was bereft of hope. It was, what well, we can't ever do this again. And once they shared that, the next person shared something negative. The next person shared something negative. The next person shared something negative. Before I knew it, I had a meeting like a train off of its tracks, out of control. Whoa. And it happened like that. Now, w within about two or three minutes, I, I realized what was going on here. And I said, whoa, whoa, hey, gang. Perspective. There's good things and there's bad things. Right now, we're focusing on the negative things. And it is causing all of us right now to only see negative. Where is the faith? When they searched out the land, was there negative stuff in their church? Was there negative? Yes. Was there positive? Oh, absolutely. Caleb and Joshua focused on the positive. It's, it's not like they just turned a blind eye to the giants. We know this because Caleb gave a positive report. And do you know where he wanted to live? Do you know what land he wanted to choose? We learn about it in the book of Joshua. He said, you know in Hebron where all those giants are? That's what I want. That's where I want to live. Joshua, give me that land. And he went up there with his tribe. And, and they whooped him. And he defeated the giants because of his attitude. And it was filled with faith. Our negativity can rob us of that faith, can rob us of hope, can preempt our words so that they're just negative. And that's what happened in this meeting. Before I knew it, focus was negative like a train wreck. But we did do this. It was a, a, an outreach in a park, and, and 
We, we, we did two more, in fact, to reach that particular neighborhood called Groveview. As I say, many, many years ago. The tongue has the power of life and death. It can either be a life giver or a life destroyer. So my question to us is, will you refresh or will you discourage the faithful envoy? Views the same events as the unfaithful messenger. But he knows how to refresh his master. I want to pause for a moment here. And and I want us to think about this truth. In your marriage. When things happen in your marriage, how do you talk about it? How do you talk about your spouse to other people? Many people who don't get this point, they just talk negatively. They just talk negatively. Maybe they couch it in a, in, in, in a prayer request. But for some reason, every time they speak of their spouse, it's always negative. Now, we have shared. Now, especially for, for someone who is, who is a Christian and their spouse does not come to Powerline and we want to pray for them, there are certain prayer, prayers that are offered up, prayer requests that are offered up. But many times, whether it's in a little Bible study prayer meeting or out in the business world or even at home to the children, one spouse will speak so negatively about the other. And it poisons the minds of those around them. In the workplace, If you were to walk in on some conversations in the break room and hear their conversation at the bo- about the boss, you would probably think that boss is like a demon from hell. How did this? How is this boss even a leader or manager in this establishment in this corporation? How did that ever happen? And then you meet the manager, a very pleasant person, does not tolerate lateness, does not tolerate negativity or office gossip, does not tolerate procrastination or laziness. If you're on my clock, you're going to work as hard as you can. But he's a person who praises and encourages. Those group of people that you walked in on just happened to have been late that day. And he chewed them out. And he said, that's not tolerated here. You're 10 minutes late, and you're going to get docked. They don't like it. And so they talk negatively. Have you ever been in, in, in a room where someone just starts getting talked about, and before you know it, it is all negative? And you know, there is a slant on this. Why can't they see the positive? But our negative talk undermines people's perspective of life. And you know what, church? We can even speak in a way that dishonors God and causes people to view God negatively. It undermines faith. And you know what? Yes, we go through hard times. But how are you going to speak about it? You know what? You're going to go through the valleys. But how about if we talk about the mountain peaks? Amen? You know, when we are in situations and we're going through life and the devil begins whispering negative thoughts to us and and dishonoring the Lord and does God really love you and begins to lie about you to you. I'm a failure. I'm ugly. I never can. I won't succeed. My relationships are doomed. And these lies, lies, lies get fed to us. When we come to a meeting of the body of Christ, the thing that we need to hear is someone speaking positively about my God. Because the devil's had a heyday in my life all week and has lied to me and I'm on the brink and and I'm ready to break and I'm just, I feel like I'm ready to throw in the towel and I need someone to say, but God is good 
and share a testimony with me about the struggle that they went through. But you know what? Here's what I'm believing God will do, or here's what he did do. And we testify. We went through Psalm 145, and it's all about testifying one generation to the next. Why? Because we are bombarded with lies of the devil about God and about life and about one another, and we need truth, church. That's why we testified. Let me tell you about that day in which I right here, son, are you listening? I, we were standing at the Red Sea, and there was no way that we were going to make it. There was an army of Egyptians on our tail. We were cornered. There was nothing we could do, but suddenly, as a matter of fact, all night, God stepped in. As if he put up his hand, you are not touching my people. And he came in the form of a cloud filled with fire. And he stayed there. And the Egyptian army was waiting and waiting, and they could not get around him. And suddenly Moses put out his staff, and you know what happened, son? The Red Sea parted. It was amazing. Not only did it part, but the ground was dry. We took our carts, our, our old people, everyone. We took everything across. By the time we reached the other side, the waters came back together. But guess who was in the sea by that time? Pharaoh and all of his men. And they were drowned. That is how my God works. And that is passed down from one generation to the next. And if you're discouraged and you feel cornered and you're wondering, what am I even doing here? I might as well just give up. Don't give up. Because I know that my God saves. Yahweh saves. And we encourage one another. And we speak words that bring life and not death. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can get our eyes focused on those negative things. Jesus, you're going to die never. Wait, 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 didn't you hear me? But I will be raised on the third. Never. You are never going to suffer. And I know, listen, Peter, I will be raised. And I want to tell you, church, you're looking at the negative, but God is going to raise you up. God is going to take you through the valley of the shadow of death because he's got a mountain peak in his horizon taking you there. But we take our focus off of that and we set it on these circumstances and we prove that we are unfaithful messengers. We speak about the bad news because the bad news has colored our perspective and our perceptions and we are bereft of hope. Thomas Edison, it is said, invented, are you ready for this? 1,093 things. More patents than anyone ever on planet Earth. It took him, however, 10,000 tries to invent the incandescent light bulb. When asked about his many failures, he simply replied, you know what, I just found 9,999 ways in which it can't work. Perspective, attitude. He's not going to focus on all the failures, but you know what? He focused on the possibility of success. You see, he saw the valley and the mountain peak. David Brinkley said a successful man, listen to this, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. I like that. And I want to tell you what, Satan is going to throw as many bricks at you as he can. Sorry, I have this scene in which someone is throwing bricks off the roof and it's, it's, it's a parody. What is it? Studio C. <laughs> oh, I went there, didn't I? Satan is going to throw bricks at you. He is going to try and hurt you, harm you, distract you, get you off course, get your eyes off of God, wondering, okay, God, where are you? Do you even love me? And for you to throw in the towel and just say, I'm walking away. That's his goal. That is his goal. If he can't take you down completely, he will seek to render you neutral. So that, you have, so that you are not to be feared in his kingdom. What is your perspective? Are you a good messenger? Are you willing to focus on the positive and speak the positive regardless of 
the negative that's there. And I say that because my God is able to take care of that because he can defeat the giants in my land. And I know this because Yahweh saves. Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What kind of negative words can we say? What kind of death-giving words can we speak? Criticism, excessive criticism that robs us of hope, excessive correction. I'm not opposed to correction. A wise man listens to rebuke, and it brings him life, Proverbs tells us. But excessive correction, you know, realism, and I put that in quotes, that leaves hope out of the picture. Sometimes negative people like to put a positive spin on things. It's about the only positive thing sometimes they say. And it's, you know, I'm not an idealist. I'm a realist. No, truthfully, you're a negative person. Negative. What kills me is when I start being that way. Arguments and attacks, false accusations, negativity. Excessive sarcasm and put-downs. Guys, we are champions at this, are we not? We do it. And we just think, you know what? This guy, he's got tough skin. He can take it. I mean, he dishes it out to me. I can dish it back to him. And before you know it, sarcasm. It's like this pinball machine, back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, someone gets hurt. You say something, whoa, you went there, didn't you? And it's just negativity. And we can get caught up in it. It starts off as a joke, but before you know it, it's a train wreck. Crass and crude jokes, words, or remarks. Can I ask you, what message in life are you communicating? What message are you communicating? You get the right perspective or attitude, it causes you to focus on faith, and your words are filled with hope, with faith, And with love. Eugene Peterson said this. uh, And when he says pity, maybe think compassion. Pity is one of the noblest emotions available to human beings. Self-pity is possibly the most ignoble. It is an incapacity, a crippling emotional disease that severely distorts our perception of reality. A narcotic that leaves its addicts wasted and derelict. You see, the one who dives into self-pity focuses on the negative, has bought into Satan's lies, is bereft of hope and faith. But we are not that people. I can remember when in my business, in the space of one hour, I lost 65% of my business with one report. I was angry. First of all, I was confused as far as how this happened, and it was supposedly something that we were, us vendors, catering to dealerships, needed to sign. And I was not told about this, and they purposely kept it a secret. It came to the surface. I said, I need the paper. I need to sign it. What do I need to do? They talked about what you need to do to sign it. My initial response was anger, not at the people, but at the devil. I just thought, devil, how dare you? How dare you rob me of this business? You cannot have it. And the two guys that were working for me, we went outside the dealership, and we just stood in a a small little circle, and we prayed. And we asked God, we cried out to God, to rescue that business. And within two months, not only had God restored the 65%, but opened the doors to two other new accounts. What is your take on life? Are you a good messenger or an unfaithful one? In your home, do you constantly bring words of criticism, negativity, and do you rob your family of hope? Or do you speak words of life and encouragement Do you look to the mountain peak or are you focused on the valley? Can you stand with me, church? (laughs) 
If we could kill the lights, that'd be great. We're about to have communion right now. And as we pause and as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, this is so important that we realize Christ died for my sins, my failures and mistakes and my offenses to his holiness. Christ took care of all of this. And if we choose to focus on our sins, and the shame from those sins. We have truly missed what we are about to partake of here today. Because the cross has the final word. Father, I want to thank you for the power of truth. I want to thank you, God, that you are for us and you are not against us. Father, would you forgive me when negative things have happened in my life, I have been an unfaithful messenger. And I've spoken negative or critical words. I've chosen to focus on the valley and I've taken my eyes off the mountain peak. Would you forgive me? Forgive me for speaking death, faithlessness, hopelessness. And Father, would you redirect my heart? Would you redirect our hearts as we now focus on what Christ has done for us? Because he did have to suffer. He did have to die. Only so that on the third day, he would rise again. So Father, thank you for that mountain peak. Thank you for what we have to go through in life as hard as it is at times because you're bringing us to a destination. You're bringing us to a place of hope and faith and love and reflecting, glorifying Jesus and how we live. God, I ask that you would rise up and where the enemy's been speaking lies, may the enemy be scattered in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask that we would shift our focus I ask God that we would say thank you, Lord, for all of these blessings. That you have taken me through the fire. You have taken me through the raging flood. And I have come out on the other side. And it has, I have not been burned. And I have not been washed away. God, thank you for your strength. Thank you for your deliverance. And you will yet deliver me. Thank you, God. This is who you are. Yahweh saves.